the learning hack is supported by a new spring, the platform that puts the learner first, shaping journeys that help individuals learn faster and perform better. Access intelligent technology, profound insights and a unique network of like-minded pioneers. And if you're a trainer or training provider looking to succeed in this fast-changing market, their free ebook will show you how putting the learner first is the key to winning. Download it now at anewspring.com slash learnerfirst. That's anewspring.com slash learnerfirst. The Tigers of Wrath, wrote 19th century poet William Blake, are wiser than the horses of instruction. Much as I admire Blake, seems to me there's a bit too much wrath about in today's world and not enough wisdom. Besides, the horse is a noble beast, as our guest this time firmly believes, and has a thing or two to tell us about learning. So let's hear it for the horses of instruction. Welcome to The Learning Hack, a podcast about the people and technologies that are creating the future of learning. I'm John Helm. Now, guess what? Learning is learning cool. Is cool. cool. Learning is cool. Learning is cool. Learning is cool. I'm learning. Learning is fun. Knowledge, knowledge is power. Knowledge is cash. We don't often run competitions on the learning hack. In fact, we've only ever done one. In that competition, we asked people what else they were doing when they listened to our podcasts with the prize for the best answer. The winner told us that she likes to listen to the learning hack while cleansing her mucky horses. And now she's on the podcast. Kate Fitzgerald, head of fact. Who is she? Hack facts. Sarah Ratcliffe is an award-winning learning consultant, speaker and ambassador for learning with over 20 years experience in the industry. She is currently a spokesperson for the learning provider Sagos and a regular chair for the Learning Technologies Conference. In 2020, she earned the esteemed Learning Professional of the Year Award from the LPI. But it turns out that horses are more than just a leisure pursuit for Sarah. Keeping horses and teaching people to ride horses has taught her things about coaching, about learner engagement and about experiential learning. And when a catastrophic life event took away her health, her livelihood and even threatened to rob her of brain function, it was horses that helped her put the pieces back together. Sarah Ratcliffe, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to The Learning Hack. Thank you, John. I'm delighted to be here. First of all, could you tell us a bit about your journey in the learning industry and your present role in Sagos, uh, just as a starter? Um, how did you get into this horrible slash marvellous business? Well, it started off with Weight Watchers. So I was a member of Weight Watchers and I went along to all the meetings. And I remember looking at the leader who ran the train at the the sessions that we had thinking oh, I'd quite like to do that so I got into a position where I took Weight Watchers meetings and that was a little bit like a mini training session so we had to learn the art of presentation we had to understand how to motivate people and to really coach people in those sessions and so that was where it started so when an opportunity came up to join the training team that's what I did. So I ended up traveling the country, 
training up all the leaders in those skills. And I absolutely loved it. And it, that was where it started in the corporate world. I know we're going to talk about horses a little bit, but there's kind of a, a nod back to that a little bit later. So from having got the bug there, you kind of moved into organization roles where you were head of training, head of learning and so on. Um, and how did your career progress to the point where you started winning all these awards? Uh, so, yeah, so I was lucky enough to meet great people along the way, great mentors that kept challenging my thinking, moving me forward. And so eventually it came to a point where I was working with Anne Summers uh, and I'd started to realize how I got the results that I got. Um, and so as part of that, I really started to understand that it was about well, it's really about people and how to harness what people care about and leverage that for their own personal development, which ultimately then leads into the development of the organization. So it, it's progressed through sort of the motivation that sat behind Weight Watchers, thinking about behavior change that sits in my world of horses, and then also sort of thinking about the neuroscience as well. So that's always been at the heart of what I've done. So it's about how can we help these people be better at what they do so that they feel great about themselves. So that's the motivational piece, I think, that leads through in all the work that I've done. And that's certainly what the, the judges, when I did win Learning Professional of the Year, was it was about that engagement piece because it's about learners wanting to learn. We have a lot of technologists on this uh, podcast and people involved in learn tech who have got in, in, involved in training from that route. Strikes me that uh, your your kind of roots are, are in face-to-face -face learning. Is that true to say? Yeah, I would say it is true to say. I think it's about the people. It definitely started in face-to-face, -face, so that people connection. And what we certainly know about the digital transformation that, that we're in is that we still need people to do that. There's lots of skills that have to be translated in order to make the digital transformation really happen. And so from that, we've then I moved into the world of virtual learning. Uh, luckily, we were ahead of the curve with, with COVID, which is um, which really put us in a, in a good place. And for me, it's then about what's happening kind of in the brain and cognitively that, that makes that learning happen. So really thinking about how those things all link together to motivate the learner and then enable the learning to happen so that behavior change can then happen. So yes, it started in face-to-face. -face. I think it's gone beyond that. And what we're really lucky to have at Sagos, and one of the exciting things that why I love working with them, is that you know we've we've got so many great um, learning technologists, you know, people that really can harness the technology to make that learning, that blend of learning, really work effectively because. For me, in my opinion, it's about all of those things coming together. It's about human contact. It's about motivation. It's about using the technology to get the job done. And I think that they work alongside each other. Yeah. So, so you all have seen digital technology become more and more important in, in what you're doing in the industry. And this has kind of been a gradual move towards it. Uh, and the, the, the pandemic uh, kind of accelerated that. 
talked about your interest in neuroscience and in kind of how the brain works and so on. Is Do you think it's fair to say that as technology becomes more or the business of learning involves more and more tech, that you have to kind of make that stuff explicit? I mean, I, this might be a caricature of it, but my kind of impression is that people who come into in, in, into training and learning from uh, a people-focused kind of direction, a lot of it is instinctual. It's because of it, it's working with people in groups and in the room, and that's quite instinctive. When you bring technology into the mix, somehow you have to step back and think explicitly, you know, okay, what's going on here? How do we kind of translate between that? personal realm that digital realm sorry again rather long question I'm always doing this but no no I get it I get it and I and I think you're right I do think you're right I think that in the room face-to-face in synchronous learning there is I don't want to use the word instinct actually because I think these are, are learned skills you know when yeah. I first started training it wasn't instinct I didn't know how to do it um but I I learned that I could do it Um, And I've fine honed those skills over time. And I think that when we're looking at the digital transformation and whether it be e-learning, whether it be gamification or, you know, what AI is bringing, I think we do have to think very scientifically and, you know, what's going to happen next? What impact does that have on the learner? How is the learner best going to learn? And, And all of those things need to be put together in a really structured and well-formulated way if they're going to make that difference. It's so easy to get it wrong. Yeah. Apologies there for using that word instinctive, instinctual in a rather sloppy way. I mean, you know, I've read my um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, Daniel Kahneman and so on, and he talks about it. I think it's him who talks about instinct being a, a, a kind of way of, you know, a, a proxy for, as you say, th- things that you've learned, um, yeah. learned behaviours and, and and so on. So, but I'm I'm kind of interested in that because I'm steering towards our next question here, which is less humans, but about animals. Mm. So your first appearance on the podcast was as the winner of our seasonal competition, which involved horses. Um, we wanted people to tell us, you know, what they did what else they did while they were listening to podcasts. And um, your entry was the most interesting one because you you cleansed your mucky horses while listening to our <laughs> podcast. It kind of summoned up, made me think ever since when, when I'm doing a podcast, you know, what are these people doing at the moment? And when you began to talk about coming on the podcast with me, uh, it emerged that horses aren't just a recreation for you, but also an inspiration for your work in learning. Uh, no. So I'm intrigued by that. So what is it about horses that made, makes you say that? So firstly, I was a riding instructor before I ever got into training. Ah. Okay. And I've been brought up uh, with horses on the farm with animals. And horses are a real barometer of, of what's going on. They're a, a barometer of behavior, really, because you, you can't kid a horse. And what became really apparent to me when I moved into the world of of, of corporate and organizational learning was that if we want somebody to change, if we want to change a behavior, we have to do something first. And my barometer is always, what would I do if this was a horse? Which I know sounds probably a bit instinctive, 
But you will always get it right if you bring it back to its most simple formulation, because a horse will react from any stresses that you're feeling, if you're getting it wrong. And as a riding instructor, when you're teaching, you're you're looking at two elements here. One, you've got a rider who you're trying to teach to communicate better with the horse. And the horse is telling you, the horse is telling you whether their communication is good enough. And so certainly when I'm sort of training and, and working in, in the leadership sphere, that communication is absolutely vital and it features in all of our leadership courses because without that and without leaders understanding what's coming back at them then actually then they're not learning so actually that the feedback that we're getting from other human beings we if we look at it in the same way as a horse they're telling us loud and clear what's going on so communication is not just about what we say, but starting to read human behavior as communication is how we do it in the horse world because they can't talk. Yeah. So uh, that's so interesting. So you're saying the horses are kind of a a, a litmus test of, um, yeah. if you like, emotional authenticity. I mean, authenticity is something we talk a lot about in, in leadership and in training generally. Um, and some people will say, yeah, authenticity is the main thing. If you can fake that, you'll go far in training. Um, and, and in leadership as well. But what you're kind of saying is you can't kid a horse, that the horse really knows perhaps more than you do yourself what's going on inside. And and, and so that enables you to focus on that when it when it comes to um, people in leadership. You have to be rather careful here because it, it would be easy to say that, you know, a leader is somebody, you know, when I'm talking to a marketing manager and I'm the CEO of a company, I'm the rider he's the horse or she's the horse and that's that's a bit kind of insulting to um, yeah i'm not sure i think we're treading on dangerous ground here, John. yeah but i think the reason for that is we tend to kind of downgrade animals you know um and we I, i'm conscious of this you know i know absolutely nothing about horses but i, I know about dogs because i've recently become a dog owner and it's while i've been kind of uh doing these podcasts about learning so it does lead you to reflect, doesn't it? Because I, I, I'm sure dogs are dogs. You can't bullshit dogs as well yeah, in the same absolutely. way. They kind of, you know, if you're frightened, a dog will know it. Yeah. Um, so how do you not provoke a fear response in, in a dog mm -hmm. that might make it kind of attack you or whatever? Well, you have to not be frightened. That's yeah. not as easy as it might sound. I, I had a fear of dogs when I was little because I got bitten by a dog, whatever. Okay. When I became a dog owner, I had to overcome that. Our animal friends bring a lot of joy in our lives, uh, as well as learnings. But the more challenging episodes that we go through can also be a huge source of learning. Uh, would you feel comfortable talking now yeah. about your car crash in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. So in 2003, so 20 years ago, I suffered a rather big car crash. It left me with a significant head injury, which meant that I suffered a concussion, which had an impact on my cognition. It had an impact on my memory, uh, my speech. So I would slur my words. Um, and it took two years for me to get back into the world of work. It meant that I, w I had to move from the Isle of Man to the UK so that my husband could support me. It meant that I had to sell my horse and to be honest, it was it was huge. But where it it falls into 
my world is that it brought me into the world of, of neuroscience and why I'm fascinated with neuroscience and how we learn. Because ultimately, I had to relearn a lot of things. And so that's led me into how people learn, how we learn best, and how we can keep keep growing our brain using our neuroplasticity and actually creating those, those things that enable us to get back up and running. Because at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't looking very likely. Uh, and so I use a lot of resources to enable me to continue my career. Um, I still have issues. I still have problems with cognition, especially if I'm very tired. Um, adrenaline usually gets me through. Uh, but it's what started, started that love of how, how is this working inside us? Where are the bits that are missing? Where do I need support? So, for example, just behind me here is a sea of post-it notes that enable me to, to kind of keep going because I don't always remember certain things very well. Uh, and so there's, there's lots of people that we might teach, uh, that we might, you know, provide that training to that are either neurodivergent or you know, menopause is a huge thing now. And we, we, I know we, the event that we were at, John, that, you know, there's, there's lots of talk about it now. And actually that, that brain fog that, that ladies get, you know, it, but there's lots of people that are suffering in lots of different ways. Hmm. But there are things that you can do if you work with what you've got. And so, yeah, it was huge. But between the car accident and working with the horses in the past, it's really enabled me to almost use that as a bit of a foundation for what I do, um, you know, in, in learning and development, really understanding the human being that sits at the heart of it, because we, we, we are putting out learning large scale across huge organizations across the world. And since we now work so remotely, you know, it's there's just a, a barrage of information overload coming from everywhere mm. and actually the work that I that what I've learned from my car accident is that how we can help people navigate that so that's mm. kind of where the fascination starts and it's really you know every cloud and all that you know but it's, yeah. it's given me a deeper insight that must have been absolutely terrible and really frightening and you know feel a lot of sympathy for you there not just for you know I, I had a bad car, car crash which was a, a sort of major setback in my life and I, I know how that feels losing your your job and having to sell your horse that's bad enough but then the idea that you know you come back and you're you're dealing with impaired cognition that that must be very very frightening uh, but it's interesting what you say about how that enabled you to kind of reflect on the way that we learn and to, 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 to more explicitly understand something. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, what, what were the kind of symptoms? Was it just forgetfulness or? Um... Yeah, so um, lots of different symptoms. So I, from that, I then started having really bad migraines, um, which I'd never mm. experienced before. Uh, but with that cognition, this whole side of my face would drop um, oh, and right. I would start like slurring my words. Too. Yeah. Mm. And I I basically could, couldn't formulate my sentences. And occasionally, if I'm very tired, 
you can see that happening. So even now, so even now, if I'm very tired, I'm, I, I might just kind of lose the power of the ability to string words together. So I would lose that. Um, what's the word? Oh God. Um, being able to articulate myself properly. The fluency. And, and the and, fluency. Yeah. Yes. And I've always been, I've always been really good at talking. So, so, <laughs> so that, that's quite, that was quite a challenge. Um, and then also was the, I, I literally would would lose um, short term memory, so I would literally not. I could I could argue black was white to say that I hadn't been a certain place, and it might have happened the day before. So though there was massive gaps in that, uh, and it was the complete fatigue. It took a very very long time to recover from. And what I now know is that basically the you know the brain's been damaged in some way and so it takes a lot more energy to pull that together so it it can create that kind of complete flattening very very quickly so mm. it's all about learning to to manage yourself which yeah. i try to do <laughs> yeah. so what was it like to to come back from that uh, was it a very conscious kind of effort exercises things you did every day and so on what, what was it like to then get back to a, a position where you not only had a career again but we're winning awards um it was bumpy it was really bumpy um I came back to work I had a relapse um and you know everything would start to go again and I would lose all the power on this side of, of my body um and then I I went back to Weight Watchers as a leader so I worked part-time um I also started doing a bit with horses so again there's a lot to be said for that kind of therapeutic nature of being out in the fresh air and I think there's you know there's lots of work being done now to realize actually how good that is for us and over the years I was lucky enough to have great opportunities meet great people and the bumpiness comes from where I push too hard so what I've had to realize is where's my limit where's the barrier zone here is if I push too hard I'll have a relapse and that's been really hard because I, I love what I do. I love working with people and seeing them develop in exactly the same way as I do with horses. But I have to rein myself in sometimes to balance where my passion and my adrenaline is taking me as opposed to where my brain almost can't keep up with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I have to balance and really pace myself. And that's not always successful. You know, in, in my career, you know, it, it has been like this because as I've learned how to to do that. Um, but as I say, how have I got to the place where I've had a successful career and I've won awards is that I suppose I, I'm quite tenacious. I don't give up. I love what I do. And so that keeps pulling me back. And I keep, you know, people keep giving me great opportunities. So it's it's about that as well. Sometimes it's about you know, again, connecting with people and working hard, trying mm. hard and being motivated and wanting to, to, to keep going and make a difference. The Learning Hack podcast is supported by Learning News, the learning sector's newswire. Rob and his team are good friends of the podcast and we really value the help and advice we've had from them and they do a great job. 
for the very latest news from around the learning sector, for interviews with learning leaders, the latest from learning sector vendors and features on workplace learning, go to learningnews.com. Those bad experiences have obviously made you somebody who's very good at working with people uh, to help them work through their own issues. And I, I think you have a massively expanded empathy for that. And, you know, how do you deal with the fact when you lose your, your superpower is talking and you lose your superpower and so on. How do you kind of break ground in learning new skills? Mm. But I've noticed that um, learner engagement is something you talk about a lot. Is that something that you've particularly come through through those experiences? Yeah, and and that's that's why I've won I've won the the awards really is because what the judges said was that it was about the fact that I recognise that people need to want to learn. So for me, that engagement starts way before the training, the learning ever starts to happen, because we're all passionate about learning and development. Okay, because that's what we do. But in reality, working in corporate learning. We know that not everyone is, you know, so that the old cliche of build it and they will come. Well, they won't. Mm. So we have to understand the person. We have to understand what's going on for the individuals and we have to understand what they care about. And when you can start to really think about that and then how you market your learning ahead of them coming on, that's going to make a big difference. And I always go back to something that we used all the time at Weight Watchers and that's the WIFM. So what's in it for them? So really understanding your audience right at the outset and then enabling them to come through that journey. And then when they come through that journey, understanding what's going to keep them engaged in the process. So whether that be that full blend of um, technology, synchronous, asynchronous learning, working together seamlessly to keep the person motivated, to keep the person with that goal in mind as to where they're going to get to. It's that blend of engagement starting right from here, moving throughout the entire process to come out the other end as a change in behavior. And we're really lucky in learning development. We've got so many resources at our fingertips that can enable us to create this. So learner engagement, if you haven't got it, we're not learning. You, you know, you, you've got a training course. doesn't mm. mean that you're learning. And I take it personally if you know I don't want to be that that trainer or that person that somebody comes out and says oh yeah I remember way back when you and I went a training course with you I, I want it to have had results it, if, if it's not making a difference if you haven't engaged the learner have, have we done our job and that comes back then to that accountability of what we're doing as practitioners people talk a lot about nowadays about um marketing knowledge and you know the discipline of marketing in general being a, a, a useful kind of source for people like yourselves when talking about learner engagement do you find that useful and to what extent absolutely absolutely as a an L&D practitioner we have to look at how we market ourselves to to any 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 learners because this is where we can create the want to learn the realization of what's in it for them. So that marketing piece is always at the very front end of any, any learning project, understanding our audience, understanding what the learners need, what the organization needs, and how you're going to market it to them. Because 
it's about them getting getting the bums on seats or the fingers on keyboards in the first instance, but then making them want to come on that journey with you. So that marketing piece is engagement, you know, and, and it it goes hand in hand in in my in my viewpoint. And certainly at the work we do at Sagos, that's what, what we're looking at. We're looking at the audiences and yeah. what what the what the organization what's the outcome to be and how we can make it personal for the individuals yeah yeah i think pe- the the bits of that that you know because my background is marketing the bits of that that people very often talk about is understanding the learner or understanding the the buyer in mm. marketing sense and it's kind of who is that person what their motivators fear greed personal advancement yeah. what keeps them awake at night what you know what 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 turns them on what turns them off and so on but there's another aspect to well there are a lot of other aspects to marketing but one of those is kind of competitors in marketing you're 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 always looking competitively so that's our learner what is attracting them to competitive things is 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 there equivalent i suppose there is an equivalent in learning in that there are a lot of other things that might grab their interest and enthusiasm and so on do you ever look at it from that point of view that you know what are the what what are we competing with in in our aims to to kind of grab these learners and are, are we going to run into problems with other parts of the organization there if we're taking them away from you know? uh, well, well we could we absolutely could run into other parts of the organization you're right and i think that you know looking at at learner personas and looking at all the demands that are happening is is an important part of our of our um, data you know pulling that data in at the very start of of any project that we're working at as to you know what where are the the risks here so looking at, at it all as as a whole uh is is is, is absolutely key um I think internally if you're working internally looking at that I think in the work that we do at Sagos it's probably slightly different to that but certainly working inside an organization understanding all all the elements is an important thing to look at when you're compiling all that evidence at the very start nowadays one of the biggest uh, things is that struggle for time people just Mm. don't have time for learning Um, how do you overcome that one oh okay so as organizations we have to make time. We, we, you know, we have to make time for people to do this. So we, we have to, one, engage them so that they want to, so that they're motivated to make time. But we also have to allow the time and, and provide the resources needed because it, isn't, it doesn't always come down to learning, does it? You know, and we, it sometimes comes down to something that makes it a bit easier for someone to do their job properly. So, you know, what, what we're aiming for here, well, we're aiming for people to be performing at their best in organizations so that they feel great and, and the organization gets great results. So does it always come down to learning or is it those things that we can put in place to help them? I think about my post-it note board here. That's my resources because some of it I, I can't learn. I can't retain it. Uh, so it's all of those things put together, I think. Yeah. I often think about my own learning that, oh, God, there's something I have to learn here. Um, something new's come up, some <laughs> wrinkle in the technology, uh, some up, update to the software, and this is going to take me an hour to wade through. Uh, and and the thing I always have to think about is, but is it going to be, is it going to save me time in the long long run to learn this thing now? Yeah. And there's a kind of value equation that. So, 
does seem to be that time is a really important thing in 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 learning sorry i'm I'm blathering on no you know and what what's interesting about that is that i i do a lot of leadership coaching in my work and actually that time piece comes up all the time and one of the questions that i would always fire back is okay so if you don't do this how much time is it going to take you so that that goes back to your point there of i can spend an hour now to save time or i can keep spending an hour here and there and sometimes it's that step back and this is why i believe that that kind of having a good blend of you know learning comes in many different guises doesn't it you know we've mm. got so many um that there's a there's a an area for for everything for the coaching for the synchronous for the the digital it depends on what we're trying to do and we have to consider where the time fits with that well you mentioned the event where we met in london recently um and you were talking about time about experiment experiential learning and uh i so see you're interested in immersive learning as well technology has given us new ways of uh, of doing that um What's the fuel mix of on on and offline in that for you nowadays? I mean, obviously it's shifted, but you know, don't, is there a danger we have to put everybody into the metaverse to learn stuff? And you know, people worry about things like that. Yeah, that will that that would that would scare me. And and I think it comes back to that mix. It comes back to the blend. So we we we've got a great immersive learning program that we 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 use it's called leader of the future and it's a real mix it's got um you know there's there's it's got coaching in there it's got um experiences and and where we're using the technology here is to create those emotional reactions because that's where it that's where the brain starts to add it all together isn't it when we start to give people an experience so whether that be an experience of stress or happiness or frustration Whatever it is that's happening is then connecting the brain to the experience. So it enables us to remember it more easily. And so it goes deeper. So by immersing learners in this, and it is a big, you know, it can be a chunk of time. But the other good thing from this is that when we've got synchronous learning, it's in the diary, isn't it? Okay. So you're, you're going away, you know. Back in the day, we used to go out to hotels and and have immersive learning, and we'd stay there for three days. You know, we'd have residential, um, residential courses where we'd be in that environment. So, but we can now create that with with the virtual world, with gamification. There's so many different things that we can put into these arenas that create this whole immersive immersive environment that gives people strong emotional reactions that they can then add to what they already know that enables us to retain it more easily that then enables us to go out and do something more effective with it and in my opinion when we have those sorts of experiences in those real life skills leadership skills those sort of things like that we we start to change as human beings you know we sort of think of feedback for instance that hard piece of feedback that made you cry one day you never forget it and you change behavior so sometimes it's about digging deeper into the the human psyche a little bit further to create that shift and and i am really passionate about that because that's what we used to do 
way back when, when I first started training. It's what I've learned through working with the horses, through my own experiences. So mm-hmm. I know when I've really connected with somebody and then we use all the tools around that and you start to see that shift happen, then you've got real development happening. And we're in a position now where we can do it on a, on a large scale because of the technology. Reflecting on kind of what it, what it's like to be an L&D person now compared to, say, 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it just seems to me there is so much more available. It took a long while for us to be able to, live, to deliver uh, video at the sort of resolutions we have now online, yeah. but that's kind of there now. We've got VR. Uh, we've got podcasts, of course. We've got so many different, um, what you'd, you'd call, if you want to be posh, modalities for, for learning now you know your toolbox has expanded massively and then then there's a lot that you can use with ai uh you've got more data than we've ever had yeah. you know um how, how is that changing the 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 uh the role of l d do you think i mean it, it feels to me it's turning into something more like a i don't know a producer or a, a kind of news editor or something that, yeah. that, that you have an awful lot of stuff to coordinate in the old days it was just you know Let's do a course on this. Let's do a course on that, yep. maybe. Rocked up at a hotel, got your wheelie trolley out the back. Yeah. <laughs> Delivered your stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's almost now like almost being a master baker, isn't it? Because certainly now when I'm looking at, at learning programs, I'm looking at what are the perfect ingredients to put in this recipe mix, whereby mm. you, you then, you know, it, it tastes and looks delicious. So, yeah. so it note, is Note more... to the audience and note to the international audience. Uh, we probably both last night watched the Bake Off, which is an enormous. I haven't yet. <laughs> okay, I won't. I won't tell you what happened. No tell me what happened. It was Bread Week. I know that much. That's which is right, just making yeah. me hungry. Ooh. And again, look what we learned from that. You know, yeah. learning is everywhere, isn't it? It's all around us. So, and if we think about that, going back to what we were saying, I know I've yeah. taken you off on a tangent, but watching that inspires you to want to go and bake bread just thinking about bread week makes me want to go and break bread make bread so already that marketing is 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 tinkering with something in me that's going oh i want to do that and so we have to market and engage our learners and and inspire them to want to go and try something different sorry i went off on a tangent then but i couldn't resist you start talking about baking yeah <laughs> And bake off. So these are all good tangents, I think. Uh, we have to do have to close up now, though, um, because if we talk any more about that, I'm going to give you spoilers for the bake off. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, who do you look up to following the industry? What are what are your kind of you know your waterholes, so to speak? Where where do you get the inspiration? Well, I think that we're really lucky in our industry. Uh, I've I've never worked in an industry where whereby people are so willing to share. And I think it's because we really do care about helping people develop. And so I've been really lucky. So there are so many um, people that I follow and look up to and get new ideas from all the time. Um, I think my first my first one that I, I want to mention is Nick Shackleton Jones. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, because I first... 
I didn't know how I got the results that I got. So I didn't have a, a formal qualification in learning. Um, I'm not, not an ap- academic. <clears throat> I can't even say the word properly. <laughs> and so I kind of, I loved what I do, but I didn't know how I seemed to get good results. And I remember going along to the CIPD Festival of Work and Nick was there and he, I kind of ended up buying his book and I didn't set out to buy his book, but upon reading his book, I suddenly got it. It was a massive light bulb moment. And I thought, oh, I know how I do it now. And that was the start. That was the start of me really believing that I knew what I did. Uh, and that sort of then set me on where I, I won my award. And then I was lucky enough to, to get to know um, Don Taylor, who's been an amazing mentor to me. Uh, and then there's so many more. I remember watching um, Caroline Ford. I think it was at Learning yeah. Live one year. And she was talking about having no budget. And I had very little budget at the time. And she was doing some of the things that I was doing. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so, you know, Caroline, the neuroscientists out there, Lauren Waldron, Stella Collins, there's so many people. And, of course, the, the, we've got great people at Sagos that being part of uh, an organization that's a global organization means that there's always somebody really knowledgeable that can come and, you know, help you and mentor you and support you and and share. And I think that's really important. And and certainly I want to make sure that I keep sharing as well, because I think that we have to give back to keep our industry moving forward. Well, perhaps I shouldn't say this uh, because it sounds too self-aggrandizing, but every single one of the names you mentioned is a person who has been a guest on the Learning Hack podcast. So folks, you can go back and and, and listen to all those. Uh, and now you've joined that, that list of people. And I'm, I'm sure people will continue to get a, a lot of inspiration uh, for the stuff you've shared with us today. Thank you, Sarah, very much. It's been a really enjoyable conversation for me. Uh, and thank you for agreeing to do this and take the time at such short notice, I should say. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. And it's unusual for me not to be here without a horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there is a little one in the well, background. Well, next time, <laughs> you bring Definitely. your horses and I'll bring me dogs. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's do that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you. That's all on the Learning Hack podcast for this time. Many thanks to our guest and to our sponsors. Learning Hack is completely independent and transparently funded by sponsorship. If you want to help others find us, please like, follow, rate, review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or on YouTube. If you're interested in getting transcripts for these episodes, ad-free listening and bonus content, head over to our Patreon page and help to keep the flame alive. Until next time. Stay curious, learning people. <laughs>